Hi there. This week on the, the Cold Turkey podcast, I'm with Christine. Um, it was, again, you know, like uh, still uh, um, so humbling. I'm so grateful that I can be running that podcast and, and enjoying every guest that I have on. Um, this week is no different. Um, Christine was super open about her our early life and you know like everything she's gone through and um it was it was uh it was a great story and you know I, again you know like i don't want to spoil anything out of it so um i'm gonna leave it to you to uh discover christine um i'm just gonna leave you with you know um if you could share let the podcast know to your friends parents peers anyone you know that would benefit from listening to that um, i encourage you to do so subscribe to the instagram page subscribe to the facebook page uh, they're easy to find they're easy to recognize you just type in cold turkey podcast or podcast cold turkey you're gonna find the white and blue logo and uh, yeah without further ado here's christine enjoy Hey, Christine, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm gonna start, you know, like a, it seems like a mandatory question that I do ask every one of my guests since March, um, especially in sobriety and especially with, you know, like the the fact that, you know, like we're, we're um, in actually in sobriety, you know, like we're, we're, we're being, you know, like we're, we, we do get used and we do get, you know, like encouraged and in proximity and human contact and, you know, like, uh, either through hugs, but mostly through intimacy and, you know, like, uh, and I mean, intimacy, not in a proximity, let's say that way, but, you know, mm -hmm. like in a sense that, you know, like meetings and, you know, like in the huggings and, you know, like all that stuff means that, you know, like we do get close to people and the pandemic has kind of shut that thing off. Um, and so my first question would be, you know, like, where are you located in the world? And, you know, like, how is the pandemic going for you? Ah, um, I'm located in Hamilton, Ontario. And, uh, wow, the pandemic's really, you know, um, different you know it, it gave me another sense of um being able to really get to know who i really am and um you know i was going to meetings before the pandemic started and it really did a good impact on myself as well as some of the other people that i've been hanging out with and not being able to go to face-to-face -face meetings um really put a you know a damper on on my life um, not being able to go into a room and actually see the people that I associate with and, you know, having to do all these Zoom meetings, it's just not the same, right? Absolutely. So, and, you know, like I, I, I've actually said that numerous times, you know, like the initial Zoom meeting that I attended, I, I, I left, you know, like I was like, holy shit, that's not it. You know, like I'm, I'm not used to that. And, you know, like I was not like the big hugger guy and, you know, like I'm, I'm not like the, but the, the, just the, I would say the, um, the, the spirit face, the of face. a room, you know, like just the spirit <laughs> of a room, you know, like sitting there, you feel better, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't get that in my basement in front of a fucking webcam, you know, like I, I didn't get it yet, you know, like uh, at the beginning. Um, 
So you're absolutely right. You know, like it's different. It's completely different. Oh, absolutely. Just, you know, just walking into the room and everybody's saying hi to you. And, you know, before I, like, I am a hugger and um, to walk into a room and not even be able to hug anybody now that, you know, that puts a damper, but at the same time, you know, I'm happy that these rooms are, are now open for us, but, um, so they the are, starting, so they are open yeah. right now. Um, we have currently in Hamilton, we have, um, two rooms open. We did have three, um, one shut down our Friday night room shut down just recently. Um, we do now have a Monday night room. Um, we also do have our Thursday and Sunday. So we have three rooms available, but of course it's limited people, right? Yeah. So you're only, you're only allowed, um, 15 people on each side. So, you know, at, at the same time, it's like to have to sit there and turn away people that want to come in and actually share their story and actually want to listen and, you know, have, you know, a meeting and we have to turn them away just because we don't have the space and we're at capacity. You know, I, I've heard in a few rooms that um, a lot of people are are upset about this, but there's nothing we can do about it. Right. We have to go with what the government's telling us. And it's crazy. You know, like it, it's crazy in the sense that. Um, you know, like that was this, those were discussions that I saw in some Facebook groups um, of people saying, you know, like, you know, like we'd rather as, um, you know, like as officials of, of some of the meetings, we'd rather shut it down than having to refuse people, you know, like, and I mm -hmm. do get it, you know, like, cause you know, like it's, it's um, some, it's life or death, you know, like, so you'd rather encourage them to join in on a zoom meeting then uh having to tell them no you know like if if they do drive or take public transit to to get to mm. somewhere and they they're told that you know like that that they can't enter the place you know like that that would be just devastating for them mm -hmm. yeah i've had to uh i've had to be that person personally to um tell people that we were at capacity and you know it broke my heart and there was even times where I wanted to leave the meeting because I've have I have 12 years clean. And how do I know if these people are, you know, coming in for the first time and being refused and then going back out just to use that night just because we refused them, right? So that's crazy. Definitely a big decision that we've had to, you know, deal with. And I mean, we have to follow it. Otherwise, you know, these rooms will get shut down. So Yeah. And you know, like here in Quebec, you know, like it's it's um it's pretty much a shit show right now. <laughs> We're a thousand case plus per day. Uh, they've asked us to, uh, they've, they've kind of colored our, our province. Um, so they, you know, like they, they've, they've separated in multiple regions and give us a color code. We've been sitting in the, in the red zone in the Montreal metropolitan area um, for almost right at the beginning. They, they put us in red. So they've shut mm -hmm. everything down restaurants and meeting rooms for sure but you know like everything else um a good friend of my wife right now is dying and um you know like you know like we were trying to find a way you know because you know like just like the funeral right for me is just yeah. something that shouldn't shouldn't be uh forbidden you know like it's 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 too damaging psychologically you know like i i feel that this is almost it should be illegal you know like it, you shouldn't um 
you, you shouldn't play with that. You know, like for me, it's just as meeting rooms, actually, you know, like, you know, like I think there's risk, you know, like, but, but the collateral damage of, you know, like, um, of someone that you're know, ODing because, you know, like you, you haven't allowed someone to, um, enter a room as, you know, like depression, if someone wasn't allowed to get into, um, um, you know, like, the, like the morning process, right. Um, for me, it's as damaging, you know, like if not more. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, so, so, you know, like it was back and forth conversation about, you know, like, should we do something kind of clandestine and, you know, <laughs> you know, like it, you, you feel like a fucking outlaw just for celebrating and it's not celebration, but, you know, like just to have that right, um, th that ritual of, you know, like at least going through the morn, you know, like the full morning process, you know, like, so, so anyway, so like it's just crazy right now. Right. Just crazy. Yeah. It definitely feels like something was taken from us. Right. And, and even, even the members that are trying to get into the treatment centers, I have a few friends of mine that are on the, the list and it's taken forever, whereas normally it wouldn't take that long. Right. So, you know, it's hard to see. And I, I have a few of my friends that relapse and I've, uh, you know, I've lost a few friends over our zoom meetings, even, you know, they were showing up all the time and then all of a sudden, they're not showing up anymore and you find out later on it's because they relapsed because of the whole COVID thing. So Ugh. definitely, definitely one day at a time. That's for sure. So. Absolutely. Okay. Let's, um, let's do as I do every week. You know, like we're going to be rewinding the life story tape of Christine. And um, I have, you know, like I, I want to bring you back to either, um, you know, like while you draw me a kind of a family and, you know, like kind of the, the picture of it all, but, you know, like take me back to either the first time you use any kind of substance or any you witnessing substance that has impacted you, that you feel has impacted you. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say the first time I actually ever used um, any type of substance was probably... Um, when I was 11, 12 years old, uh, my family and I, we had a trailer and, you know, being teenagers, we would steal some of our parents' alcohol and cigarettes. And we'd all, we'd all go to the, this one little area when we were, you know, at nighttime and everything. And we didn't think anything of it. You know, we would just go and grab the alcohol and whatever we can get our hands on really. I mean, it looked like a buffet at the end of the night. You know, we had some Coors Light and Budweiser's and whatever our parents were drinking. And I didn't think I didn't think my problems started then. You know, I thought it was just us being teenagers. And um, but I want to say my problem really started when I was 13 years old. Um, I had some trauma that happened. And I started off slow with, you know, just the smoking of the weed and um, drinking the alcohol and having bonfires and partying a lot. And um, over the summer, I started, it was mostly during the summertime. And uh, I started realizing that I had an actual problem when I would, you know, bring alcohol to school. Uh, my first class, it was uh, drinking vodka and orange juice and sneaking off to go and have cigarettes and smoking weed on my lunch break. But to me, it was just, uh, 
you know, a small problem. It wasn't something big. It was just me being a teenager. Right. And, um, trying what to, what kind of kid were you? Life. Um, like you mean before all this? Actually, like, you know, like I, I, I usually ask the question about, you know, I kind of your relation with authority. Um, the reason why I ask is that, you know, like the, um, what was your relation with the inside authority, meaning your parents and eventually, you know, like the first outside source of authority is school, right? You know, like it's the first time that someone else but from your parents actually tells you what to do. Um, yeah. What yeah. was your relation with, you know, like both of these um side of of the coin um with my parents uh i came from a family of um like a broken family i had you know uh my biological dad who took off when i was real young and i was raised by my brother's dad and there there was some abuse in there um but i was very i was a very caring caring you know child i was very respectful um, I was very secretive though. I didn't want people knowing our, our problems. And, um, when it came to authority and listening to my mother, I was very, you know, I'd like to say that I was very obedient towards my mother. And I, I listened, um, more or so to in fear of disappointing her. I think, um, I didn't want to be a bad child. You know, I, there was a lot of, I've seen abuse and stuff like that. And I didn't, um, I didn't want to disappoint her. So I'd like to say that I was a good child. And the same thing when it came to school, um, I was, a you know, a good student. I did my work all the time. I was never in the principal's office. Um, you know, I went to school. Um, but then, uh, that's when like my, my life started changing a little bit later on. Uh, when I started doing the drinking and stuff like that at school, but it was all secretive. I was never caught. I was never in trouble for it. Um, I'd like to say I was really smart in hiding it. Um, you know, and I would go to school. I would do my homework. I was never late in my homework, you know, and I never had problems with any of the teachers. And until this day, I still, I still talk to some of the teachers. So. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned abusive twice, you know, like, are we talking about violence here or we're talking about something else? Um, abuse. Uh, I grew up seeing, you know, abuse towards my mother. Um, you know, there, there was definitely some abuse with my father and there was alcohol involved as well. My, my stepdad was an alcoholic okay. as well. And, um, so I saw abuse in that. And, uh, when I was 13, there was also abuse towards me, um, sexually. And that's where I feel that a lot of my trauma started. And, and when I became a little more serious in my addiction. And actually probably, you know, like trying to heal that through, um, kind of fogging your mind and spirit with, with, with spirits, uh, you know, oh, like most, most definitely, you know, I, I was trying to fog it away with, you know, drinking and, and doing the drugs. Right. I didn't know. I didn't talk to anybody back then. You didn't really go out and announce your issues and your problems, right. Yeah. Your family, your family problems. You just, you figured out a way because you didn't want to shame your family. Right. Was there already uh, um, kind of a 
association between, you know, like the tension or violence or, or, you know, like even abuse and, um, the using? Um, what do you, like, what do you mean by that? Like, you know, like, did, did you have any correlation? You know, like you, 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 oftentimes, you know, like you hear people saying, you know, like, you know, like, especially when, you know, like there's a parent or a grandparent, you know, like that's an alcoholic, you know, like depending on how they behave, um, you tend to either, uh, want to copycat that, you know, like you want to do the same or you become kind of an advocate of being against, you know, like, even though, you know, like this, this sickness at some point, you know, it gets back yeah. at you. And, um, how did you feel about, you know, like kind of, you know, like the, just using. Oh, um, growing up, I was definitely against it. I was, you know, I always used to say, I'll never touch drugs. I'll never touch alcohol. You know, mm -hmm. I was totally against it. Um, you know, and I, I was really ashamed when I, I went down to that, like down that path. And, uh, were you ashamed or, you know, like you would kind of, um, excuse it and saying, well, mine is different or, you know, like, or you already knew that it was pretty much the same shit. You know, I never really tried to downsize it. I always knew that, um, Drinking's drinkings, like doing drugs, doing drugs. I never really sat there and said, well, I have an excuse because of this or because of that. Um, either way, I knew it was wrong and um, I didn't know how to get out of it. Right. I just knew that whatever I was doing was helping me feel better. It was helping me um, erase the things that I've witnessed and it helps me, you know, be able to live day by day. Um, I didn't have to think when, when I was drunk or when I was high, I didn't have to think anymore. Right. All the problems were gone. And even when I didn't drink the next day or do drugs the next day, I was like, it got to a point where I had to continue drinking because then, you know, and, and doing drugs because the problems were coming back. So I just, you know, I found it easier to just get high and get, you know, get drunk and, those, those memories were erased. How did it, um, you know, like you said that, you know, like, um, school, it was almost like if like, they didn't know that, you know, like you were kind of going down, um, a downward spiral. Um, how did it escalate? How did it, how did it escalate? Yeah. For you, you know, like, I mean, you know, like in terms of using, um, cause my guess is that, you know, like it usually starts by weekends and, yeah. um, yeah. Um, well, when I was in high school, it was definitely just the alcohol and the weed, um, up until grade 10. And then, um, I started using pills, um, because, you know, after a while the weed is no longer you know, doing its job. So, uh, it was always the next best thing. You know, I was stealing pills off my mother. Um, I was given pills from friends at school, um, buying them off the streets, you know? Um, so that was my next thing was definitely, you know, um, opiates and, and the pills. And then, um, but I really got into it when, um, after I graduated, uh, you know, I, I moved out when I was 19 and that's when really everything started going downhill for me. 
Um, I was starting to get other drugs, you know, the stronger drugs, you know, my DOC was definitely the cocaine and, um, you know, just the weed wasn't enough and, and the pills weren't enough anymore. I had to go to the next best thing, you know? So I just, I had to buy more alcohol. I had to buy, you know, the stronger drugs just to, just to get through every day. What was your, um, kind of your, um, education ambition at the time? Did you have any? Um, you know, I always, my ambition, um, when I was younger was to definitely work with children. Um, but when I was, you know, 19 years old, I had gotten accepted at George Brown, uh, university when I was 17 years old or college, sorry, when I was 17 and I gave that dream up because I had no longer had an ambition. Um, I felt that I was already too far gone. Right. So, um, when I was 19, I was working two different jobs and I, at, like to tell you the truth, I had no ambition. I had no excitement to do anything. I was honestly just living day by day and making sure that, you know, um, if I lived the night, then it was a good day. So already at 19, you're, you know, kind of on the, on the wrong side of the coin of the one day at a time, having enough dough to buy your fix and making the night if you could, you know, knock on wood and, yeah. and then wake up the next day and start over again. Yeah. Yeah. At the age of 19. Yeah. I had, you know, I, I couldn't see my future ahead of me and, um, you know, I, I knew that it was life or death and I, I never knew if I was going to wake up the next morning. I had a couple, um, overdoses and I've come close to death a few times. Um, some of which my, like my family doesn't even know that. And, uh, you know, that still wasn't enough to scare me. I didn't know any other life. Speaking oh. of which, you know, like how did your family reacted, you know, cause I guess at some point, you know, like, you know, like, uh, even though you said that, you know, like school didn't realize that you were developing a problem or, or actually, you know, like, um, kind of feeding the beast of that problem. Um, I guess, you know, like either through sixth sense or just by actual behavior, your parent must have mm -hmm. realized that something was wrong. Um, how did they react to it? Um, well, my parents were, my mom was heartbroken. Um, I, I, I was the result of, you know, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I want to say a mental breakdown. Um, where she wouldn't come out of the house, you know, she was very disappointed, very upset, very sad, you know, all the, the negative feelings were there. And honestly, I, I truly don't know if she knew how to, um, how to handle it. Uh, she knew that I was out on my own and, you know, I feel that there, I've had conversations with her numerous times about how, she always worried about that phone call ringing in the middle of the night and thinking that it was me, you know, um, that so I they knew that it that. was, so they knew that you're, um, that it was, uh, it was, um, um, 
dangerous. That they knew that you know, yeah. like we're, we weren't talking about you know, like weed smoking and you know, like kind of the yeah. casual thing. Yeah, I don't know if my mom knew that um, I was doing coke. I know that she knew that I was doing pills and stuff like that, um, and the drinking, the excessive drinking, and the weed. Um, but I, I'm not sure if she knew that I was doing the coke. And to be honest, to this day, I don't even know if at that time, um, if she did know that. I think it was just years later that I ended up telling my mother that I was doing the coke. Um, but I, like, I don't know if she knew how to handle it. And I think she just lived day by day and wondering if, you know, she was going to get that phone call or not. And from what I'm hearing, um, your mom seemed to be a great codependent starting with her own husband, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so, you know, yeah, so you want to, yeah. you know, like they, they, they tend to either downsize um, the issues. So, you know, like they're going to do the same for their child. Yeah, you know, I think because um, my mom remarried and, you know, she met a great man. Um, he was a very positive um, influence in my life and um, I think he had to put up with a lot of the hurt that I put my mother through and there came a time where I'm sure my mother um, there came a time where I'm sure my mother you know was not herself and uh, she must have you know eventually healed a little bit to the point where she was becoming herself again and I think he was just doing his best and actually, you know, doing what he could and and dealing with the situation that was given in front of him. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what can you do when you're when your child is out and they want nothing to do with, you know, rehab or treatment and um, they're lost. And, and that's what I was. I was I was lost. Did he know, <clears throat> did that man knew anything about addiction or he was just like a genuine, well, you can um, be both, but. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know if he understood addiction. Um, I know that he like was aware of, you know, what drugs are and, and things like that and what they can do, but I don't know if he was totally aware of um, how far I had gone and the consequences of what could have happened um, had I continued. Right. I think, honestly think that, you know, he loved me and he was just trying to keep my mom afloat and, yeah. you know, bring my mother back to the person that she wanted to be um, knowing that she had a, a child with addiction. So. I usually ask, um, but you know, like you seem to have uh, answered already, but do you remember kind of the first seed of you waking up and realizing that, you know, like, you know, like, even though, you know, like, either, you know, like either you couldn't help yourself, but realizing that, you know, like this shouldn't be what your life was. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have those memories of, you know, like when, when it started to kind of, you know, like those, those first little seeds in your brain? Um, I didn't really have that seed in my brain, um, during my addiction, but I did, um, I hit rock bottom really fast. Um, you know, with some, some people with addictions, as you know, like you, you tend to lose your apartment or, 
you know, you lose your job, things like that. Um, I was starting to lose, you know, my want to work, my want to live, you know, things like that really, really quickly. And uh, one day, uh, the day after my birthday was the day that I realized I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Um, you know, I had a really good party the night before and uh, I woke up the next morning with alcohol all over my apartment, uh, drugs all over my apartment. And it took about an hour to an hour and a half for me to even realize that I was in my own apartment. So it was that moment right then and there that I realized that I need to change. I can't do this anymore because if I continue down this road, I'm going to die. And for the first time in my life, I was actually scared of death where I wasn't scared of death before. But that moment of not knowing where I was in my own apartment and not knowing anything that happened that night, that was my rock bottom. That was the time that I knew that I had to change my life around. So it freaked you out. It did. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I came close a few times. I overdeed a few times and I'm not sure why that wasn't my rock bottom. I think it's because, you know, the moment of waking up and I was alive but at the same time i had absolutely no idea where i was and i actually felt that feeling um rather than waking up in a hospital you know um and you're slowly coming out of it right i i literally woke up in my apartment and i had no idea where i was and it that scared the shit out of me and i knew i knew right then and there that i had to change and i had to become a better person And you said that you already had those um, either suicidal thoughts or kind of somber, more somber days. Can you elaborate on that? You're like, would you say that, you know, like it, you, it was already kind of a shitty routine, you know, like, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like where, where it becomes kind of almost like, um, Because, you know, like it, it's a party until it isn't, right? You know, like it's, it's, mm -hmm. um, it's festive until it isn't. Um, would you, how long would you say it lasted of being just like a, like a shitty dark labor of getting high? Oh, um, you know, probably 10 years. Me. So it lasted 10 years. And so for 10 yeah. years, it wasn't fun. No, it, you know, like, like you said, it was the party until it wasn't the party anymore. You know, um, you go through these moments of thinking that every, everything's fun. And then, you know, and then you have to go through those moments where you don't have your drug of choice. And you, so you're taking something else just to give you that fix. And then you have to struggle with it. And This was a good struggle for me for about 10 years. Um, I dealt with that and like it, it was a shitty situation, you know, like having and I, I honestly, I don't know why I did that to myself. It was 10 years of my life that I'll never get back. But that struggle of of having to sit there and wake up in the morning and the first thing that you do, like it. it To, like I'm a smoker and the first thing you do, it's not even to have your cigarette, you know, or to go to the washroom. The first thing you, you wanted to do was get your fix. And it was a routine. You couldn't, it was a routine that you couldn't get out of. And, um, 
you know, it, it became a part of my life for so long that I didn't care if I ate. I didn't care if I brushed my hair or showered or, or brushed my teeth. You know, as long as I had my fix, then I was good to go. And I lived, a, you know, I, I wasted 10 years of my life because like, I, I didn't care. I didn't care whether I died. I wasn't scared of death at all at that time. Until that morning. Until that morning, I don't like I till this day, I really honestly do not know why that morning made me realize that today's the day that I'm going to get clean. And back then I was, you know, I didn't really talk to my family um, like I wasn't really, um, you know, I talked to them on and off and stuff like that. But I, I was in my own little world, you know, where I would. I had my own friends and when you decide that you're going to get clean, you don't realize how many friends you really don't have. You know, when you're partying and you're that party girl and everybody's your friend and, you know, everybody's knocking at your door. But the moment you say you want to get clean and you've had enough, you've got maybe one friend. And I was able to count on one friend to help me get clean. And I did it on my own. I didn't, I didn't do treatment. I didn't do detox. I was scared shitless of those places because I was scared of, um, <laughs> I was scared of being told of what to do. And, 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 you know, you have to do this and you have to do that. And I was like, fuck that. I'm going to do it on my own. Um, so I detoxed in my own apartment for a month and a half. I literally locked myself in my apartment and I didn't go anywhere. I didn't buy groceries. I had a good friend of mine that took care of me and, um, you know, forced me to take showers, uh, while I was detoxing. So, so you, 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 you'd rather, you know, like you were more scared of a therapy that then the hell you put yourself through you know we sit there and i constantly ask myself that question when i'm in na now um i have friends of mine going through treatment and stuff like that and now that i'm clean i sit there i'm like why the fuck didn't i just go to treatment no like <laughs> for sure I, like i sit there and i think about it and i'm like oh man like if had i just went to treatment you know and i would have had food every day you know they would have given me medicine to like calm me like to to detox me you know they would have you know forced me to have a shower every day and i'm like seriously why did i do that to myself um till that till this day i still don't know why i've done that um but at the same time, I sit there and I think about it too. You know, I did this for a month and a half and I sit there and think about it. I'm like, you know what? I'm fucking strong for doing that. Like to sit there and, and man, like, you know, I have to clean myself up and everything else and um, push myself to go for a shower and stuff like that. You know, it kind of made me the person I am today and the struggles that I've had to deal with. But I still think about that. So good question. And you said a month and a half. So, you know, like that, that friend had to be, um, did she, 
did she know anything about, you know, like detoxing and, and all it was, just, she, you know, like she went kind of, you know, like she wing it, you know, like in, in terms of, okay, she, I guess, you know, like she needs to clean and, you know, like she needs to <laughs> eat well, now. Well, um, to be honest, it was a male friend. Okay. Um, and, uh, he was a really good friend of mine actually. And, uh, you know, I, I thank him every day for it because he put up with a lot. He put up with my attitude. You know, I, I was, if you know me now, I'm, I'm a little bit stubborn now. So, I mean, just imagine detoxing, right? Um, I was probably a pill to deal with, but you know, for him to come in and I had to be so vulnerable, you know, like, you know, uh, to do the whole shower thing, he would force me and, um, and to force me to eat, he told me back in the day that I was acting like I was a five-year-old kid refusing um, to do his homework, you know? So, you know, I, I thank him. He's no longer alive today, but, um, you know, uh, but I, I thank him for what he's done. And, and he too, at one point, um, had an addiction uh, but he, he went to treatment. Um, and I guess, I don't know. I, at that time, I don't really remember if he tried to ask me if I wanted to go to treatment or not. Um, I think he just knew that I was pretty adamant that I was doing it my way. And if I was going to do treatment, then, you know, I wasn't going to be clean. So I think he just went along with it and, um, put up with my shit. So and he did a good job, but he's he's no longer here with me today. So he uh, he eventually ended up relapsing, and you know that's another story out itself. But did you know like you know like when you came out of that month and a half? Um, how did it go? You know, like I, you know, because like, you know, like, did you know about you know, like the 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 meetings and you know, like the the fraternities and you know, like the twelve stepping? Did you know about these places at the um, time? Um, when I came out, um, you know, honestly, I knew of NA and I knew I was more familiar with AA because um, I I was familiar with it growing up. Um, I didn't really know much about NA, uh, but I, I thought I was cured. Um, you know, the month and a half that I did of detoxing the moment that I, you know, I was feeling better and, um, I didn't need help anymore. That was my, my mental state, right? I, I was clean. I was fixed. Um, I was, you know, a better person. I was outside. I was living life, you know, looking for a job. Um, things like that. So I had no, absolutely no interest in, in using the rooms. I had absolutely no interest in using treatment. Um, sorry to say it. I was a stubborn little bitch, you know, back then. And, um, I would like to say that I was, uh, a woman of, you know, thinking that I had a lot of power and that I was able to do everything on my own. Um, you know, I, I didn't want the help of other people. And, and I, now, now that I'm a little bit more, you know, sensible, I, I look back at that and, and realize that had I went for the treatment and had I went to the rooms and walked into, 
DNA rooms that, you know, I probably wouldn't have been as fucked up for so many years, you know? So even being clean for so many years, I was still fucked up and I didn't realize it until two years ago, to be honest. So it's only two years ago that you, uh, decided to, uh, well, not decided, but that you reached out, uh, to, uh, to resources. Yeah. Um, two years ago, uh, my dad passed away and, um, I was ready to pick up. Um, I did and I ended up, you know, flushing it down the toilet because I knew that I didn't want to go down that path again. Um, but I was bringing back behaviors that I had in my past of, I, you know, I started, um, neglecting my house. I started neglecting my friends. Um, I wanted nothing to do with people. And these were behaviors that I had in the past when it came to, um, my drug abuse. Right. So when my dad passed away, um, that really took a real toll on me, um, knowing that he was not my biological dad and he chose to love me at the age of six months old and he raised me. Um, so when he passed away, I, I took it really hard. Um, but it didn't sink in until about three months later, uh, after his death that, um, I knew at this time I needed to, I needed help. And I did the whole counseling sessions. And, um, you know, to me, counseling was, was, um, helpful at first, but after a while, you know, you get so many sessions for, from work. Like I, I got counseling through my work and everything. And, you know, I was allowed four sessions and then after that, they're like, oh, okay, you can restart, but you have to wait a month and then it'll be with another counselor. I was like, fuck that. I'm not doing that anymore. You know, like after so many years, I've done counseling my whole life, right? I've been seeing a counselor since I was in preschool and, you know, I wasn't willing to do that again. And that's when I, I heard of the rooms and I decided, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go try these NA rooms out and see what it's like. I'm going to give it the, cause I, I have no more, like there's no other like road to go down. I've done the counselors, you know, I I've done this, I've done that. I read the books. Um, so let's go try the NA rooms. And I walked into my first meeting and I've been going to the meetings ever since. Wow. Wow. So can you, can you tell me, um, you know, cause, cause I'm, I'm, I ended up in therapy 15 years ago and I didn't know, um, anything about 12 step program. Right. So, so for me, you know, like I, I don't even think that, you know, I had like an, like, um, neither a bad or, or a good picture. I didn't know about them, you know? So, so for me, when they told me rooms, you know, like it was just like, you know, like probably like old movies or something, you know, like, so it had something to do with, you know, like dark, bad lit basement that smelled like shit that you know like with, with old folks either bums or or i'm sorry for people that are homeless i'm not i don't mean that i mean the kind of the 
picture and the image of you know mm-hmm. what, what, what I mean by bum. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be canceled because I said bum. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like for me, it was just like a caricature, right? You know, like it was, it was just like a. I felt like it was a goof. I was like, what, what, what do you mean, AA? You know, like, what the fuck is that? You know, like, you know, like uh, do I need to wear a suit or something? You know, like, anyways, it was just weird. Um, but I, I, I'm, I come from these places, right? So my first day of abstinence had um, meetings and 12-stepping and was part of that process. What was that process like? You know, like, did, did you, did, were you looking to, you know, like, I don't know, like find, you know, like, um, inspiring reading or, you know, like, uh, you know what I'm saying? You know, like, were you like, like searching the internet about sobriety or, 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 you know, like, was there something that you, you know, like, cause my guess is that, you know, like you, you just said it, you know, like you, you felt that, you know, like you were still struggling, um, did you pinpoint that struggle to, well, if sobriety hasn't solved it, there must be something else. And what is it? And let me try to, you know, like find, you know, like, you know, like peace in my inner spirit or whatever, you know, like, let me meditate on that. Let me, you know, I don't know if you, you understand what I'm asking, but. Um, uh, yeah. Um, no, most definitely. Um, how I walked into the room was basically a friend of mine, um, he wanted to get clean and you know i because i've been clean for so many years i was like you know what if you go to na then i'll go with you i said because i need the help too and i said i don't know any other um revenue you know like i don't know any other road to go down i said but i said i'm not gonna go if you're not going and i still needed that push to get into the rooms um but, but I, before that, Christine, did you do any, you know, like a Buddhism reading or Dalai Lama, you know, oh, <laughs> you know like were, were you a, a quote writer, you know, like where you know? um, I, I was a part of a journaling group. Uh, okay. I was uh, I was doing a journaling group for a little bit and that seemed to be helping a little bit. So there was some tools used. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. Um, I did, uh, I was journaling and there was a group that we would attend. Um, I believe it, uh, it was once a week that we would meet up and we would have topics that we would talk about and we'd write about them or you just write about whatever you wanted and you had the choice of whether or not you wanted to share. Um, my first meeting or journaling session that I ever went to uh, I had contacted the person that I found on the internet and I had given a, a, a subject title uh, in a suggestion to write a letter to a loved one who's passed away. And I almost didn't go, uh, but I went and I wrote that letter to my dad and I, was, I wasn't going to share, but then I was like, you know what, what the fuck am I doing here if I'm not going to open up, right? So, so I shared and I cried my first time and there was people in the rooms that were very welcoming, not in the room, sorry, in the, in the journaling, uh, session that was very, very welcoming. And then next thing you know it, I'm, you know, going to the next journaling session and and then the following one. And then I started helping to run them and I started doing events with them. 
and running events and um, becoming a big part of this world of um, working with people with mental illness. And, and that's how I met uh, my boss today, actually. She came in and did a, a, a speech at one of the journaling. Um, I have two jobs. I work for like the school board and I also work for a company called Comeback Snacks. Um, it was a, it's a popcorn company that was, um, founded in prison. Actually, my, my boss, uh, went to prison for smuggling drugs. And while she was in there, she, um, she built a company with popcorn and she hires people that have been integrated, um, or sorry, incarcerated or people that have had addictions in the past. So, the small little circle that, you know, just a simple little Google search of, you know, journaling group led me to where I'm at today with the comeback snacks and um, the person that I am today. So, you know, I, I sit there and I strongly, um, you know, I'm inspired by her story as well as um, inspired by the company that I work for and you know, the children that I get to help every day. Um, and the reason why I'm asking Christine is that, you know, like the, I hear a lot about, you know, like kind of the dry sober, right. You know, like the people that, you know, like are, are trying the sober thing and, and, you know, like don't have like a toolkit yeah. and, um, you've done it for almost 10 years. And, um, but, you know, like I, I want to hear if there was or wasn't any kind of struggling, um, not having any tools to deal with that sobriety, um, except, you know, like just not using. Um, because I hear a lot of, you know, like I, I, I can't, you know, like for me, it's something that I don't know about because, you know, like I was given that, that, that toolbox you know like i'm not saying it's the best i'm not saying that you know like it's the only one i'm just saying that that you know like i was given a toolbox in therapy so and that was day one so i don't know any other way than give given the toolbox on day one and you know like that's why i find it so interesting to hear your story christine because you know like there's there's a 10 years there that you, you weren't given any tools to cope with that sobriety because, you know, like most will say that, you know, like um, using is only the bandaid on some other, um, you know, like other stuff that you, that, that, that you got going in your life, you know, like either by burying in it, burying it them, burying them in, 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 in booze and in drugs mm -hmm. or um, any past trauma that, you know, like you don't, you want to forget about. So not having a toolbox saying, well, Drugs or, you know, like you have substance use. It's just like the, the come the coping mechanism, you know, like the, mm -hmm. you know, like you haven't coped with, you know, like what's really, you know, underneath it. Um, and so that's why, you know, like, I, you know, like I'm, I'm asking so many questions about that because I'm, I'm still hearing about people being scared shitless of, you know, like going into meetings and, you know, like I'm, I'm the first one to advocate that, you know, like meetings are a bit to blame of that, you know, because it's still, um, under the, you know, like under the argument that, you know, like it's anonymous, um, that they make it a bit shady, you know, like that, you know, like they make it a bit mysterious and a bit, um, almost inaccessible. And sometimes, mm -hmm. 
and, and you know, like they're to blame for that. You know, like I, I you know, like I, I find, I, you know, like I find it a shame um, that it's not more open and you know not more welcoming than it is. Um, I think it's their fault. You know, like and, and you know, like I've been saying that to a few um, younger people that you know, like I've I've asked them. You know, like I I've never seen um, I've seen so much shit. Um, publicity in my Instagram and Facebook feed, but never seen one from AA or NA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, I, I wonder why they're not there. Um, they still probably still have a, a, you know, like a hat in the classified of the newspaper, but, you know, like, do you know anyone, you know, under 30 that re still reads the newspaper? You know, mm -hmm. like, really? Um, so, you know, like, how do we make meeting rooms and you know like I'm 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 going to repeat the same story but you know like I did some research and you know like I listened to a, a guy that did some TED talk equivalent of you know like the origin of NA and you know like in the, at the same time he, he kind of explained the origin of AA and all that and um was explaining you know like the how important anonymity was at the time it was because some of the counties uh, some of the US counties and and US um state um could jail someone just under the snitching of um, your neighbor saying that you you should be you you, you could be a drug um, user, mm -hmm. and so you could be jailed just for um, someone telling the authorities that you are a drug user. So there are some archive photos as you can find online that people are wearing masks when they're attending meetings, and that was the reason why it became so important at the time of being anonymous. It wasn't for, you know, like all of the excuses that people are giving today. Um, it was because, you know, like you could be jailed just, just for someone saying, hey, I just saw Christine getting out of a room and, you know, like that room is full of drug users mm -hmm. and uh, you could be jailed just for that. And that's why people were wearing masks. Um, <laughs> we still are now. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the irony, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but um you know, like saying that, I think it got a bit lost in translation in the past 80 something years. And today, um, it, 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 you know, like it, it stays like that, you know, like, um, a bit, a bit shady, you know, like, you know, like, you know, some rooms are, you know, like just either hard to find or, you know, like even, you know, like it's, dark lit and you know like you're just like wow okay you know like I, I'm, I'm you know like good thing that I know where I'm going because you know like it, it's there really <laughs> no. um, so so that being said this is well for on my end it, this is the only um, pretty much the only um, method that I know of coping with my sobriety and, 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 and dealing with my sobriety is through those 12 step programs, mm -hmm. um, both AA and NA and, um, but you know, like you, 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 you went without for 10 years and you know, like, I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, like, was there, um, cause what, you know, it's a funny story, but you know, like when I stopped, I stopped, 12 hours actually before going in therapy. Um, mm. And I left home filling my, my luggage with some of these, you know, like um, one good thought a day book and, you know, like some of the Buddhism 
spiritual enlightening book and you know like i had like meditation in my ipod and you know like i had all kinds of shit that i had bought you know like in my in my in my in my in my drug use mm -hmm. you know like trying to find you know like a meaning to my life you know um and well sure enough when i got in therapy you know like they opened my luggage and said well if you won't need that and you won't need this and <laughs> you won't need that and to give me your ipod and so on um but that you know like it, it shows you that you know like i had good intention of you know like trying to at least heal a bit of my spirit you know like even when i was using um but yeah you know like you you, you went without any of those tools it seems yeah. though yeah um i definitely went out uh with those tools for a really long time like i said up until two years ago uh when i walked into the rooms but before then like i said i did uh do the journaling and that really did help me and uh like i i like i mentioned before as well working for the company that i work for um i was really able to find myself in that company um just because i was able to be open with uh, the fact that I had an addiction, right? Um, my other job where it's a professional job, um, I couldn't be as open. So uh, me being able to work for Comeback Snacks, I was able to sit there and talk about my addiction. And um, and I think that that was one of my tools. That was a t definitely a tool in my toolbox was definitely the journaling and a job that accepted people with addictions um, that was willing to sit there and talk to you about, you know, your drug of choice and and how you felt in the past and didn't judge you. Um, because that was one of the things that that was the hardest for me was the fear of being judged. Right. Um, yeah. Just a couple of days ago, uh, like two weeks ago, I had to funny story. I had to use the washroom. And because of COVID, uh, you can't just use the washroom at the, the grocery store anymore. So I walked a few, you know, few doors down and uh, I was literally going to piss myself. And I walked into the laundromat and the guy that was running the laundromat said, I'm sorry, we don't like crackheads in here. And I looked at him and I said, the first thing I said to him was, you either let me use your washroom or I piss on your floor. And I walked right past the washroom anyways. And then I walked out pissed off at the world. I'm like, he just called me a fucking crackhead. That's crazy. You know, and, and I haven't done drugs in 12 years and I've never done crack to begin with. <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> on top of it, you know? So, like, it, it pissed me off, but at the same time, it made me realize, like, you know what? I still have this thing on, you know, with my, I don't know, the way I look, maybe, or the the way I, I perceive myself that, you know, that I was a drug addict in the past. I don't know what people are seeing, right? A couple... Uh, about a month ago as well, I was in the dollar store and I had the security guard following me around. I'm like, how fucked up is this world right now when I used to steal, you know, I used to do all this illegal stuff and I never got caught for it. But now that I'm actually like a good person and, you know, doing stuff legally now is when people are actually like coming after me, you know, I'm like how fucked up is that?
when I'm sitting there at Walmart, you know, during my addiction time and stealing and nobody's coming after me so I can get my fix. Right. But then I'm actually, you know, I have two jobs, you know, I pay rent, I pay bills, I pay my taxes. And now I have people coming after me. So I was taking the offense to that. And I actually had to talk to my sponsor about it because it was really affecting me. And I'm like, am I not, you know, healing? Am, Am I not doing a good job? Am I not working my steps properly that people are still judging me? And she had to, she had to talk to me. She's like, you know what? It could have been just a coincidence that, you know, this happened or maybe he was having a bad day. Maybe a crackhead did walk in five minutes before you, like, you don't know the situation. Right. So I had to take a step back and actually realize it's not me. And, you know, it was probably them having a bad day. And I just, I moved on with it. So I'm learning that process. Yeah. And it's, um, at the same time, like I was probably one of, you know, like I was a big weed smoker and, um, you know, like it was weird that I went from being asked so many times for a rolling paper. Um, I, you know, like I wasn't smoking a joint right then and, and, you know, like on the street, but you know, like I would be asked if I had, you know, like either a light or a rolling paper, um, So, you know, like there was obviously like a a weed dar, you know, like a a radar for weed. Um, But when I stopped and I got out of therapy, I wasn't asked that question anymore. Um, So, you know, like there's definitely something of that nature. Mm -hmm. At the same time, uh, you're absolutely right. You You know, like I would say even in the mind, um, I don't know, like it, there's something about, you know, like the, the projection of, um, I guess of our being, you know, like I told you before we started recording that, you know, like I had a hard time finding myself in some of the known um, broadcasts and podcasts of, you know, like sobriety talk, because, you know, like I'm, I'm, I, you know, like I use the expression that I'm a bit grungier than some of the stuff that I heard that was, you know, like way too squeaky clean for me, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously it shows in, 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 well, it shows in my behavior and even on my day-to-day job, you know, like I, I, you know, like I can, I can tolerate more, I would say a darker humor, for example, or, or, you know, like, um, I guess, you know, like a bit of a tougher, um, I, I you know, like I like it, I like it when it's tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like it shows in my behavior, it shows in me um, having a harder time um, dealing with, with stupidity, you know, like, so, so you know, like you know, the, the example of, you know, like having that, that, that person at the laundromat giving that kind of comment, I would have probably lost my shit, you know. Like. Mm. <laughs> it, it was hard, but, you know, I, I also know that I'm a better person than that now. Right. Old behavior. For sure. For sure. But you know, like when, you know, like, you know, like, um, it's funny because in therapy, someone, you know, like told me to, um, there was, there was someone, um, that was in therapy at the same time as, as I was. And, um, he said so many stupid things, you know, like it was just fucking crazy, you know, like, and, and I was losing my mind over this guy. Like, it was just like, 
I'm gonna knock this guy teats out. You know, like this is so fucking crazy. You know, like that's it was it would get under my skin so bad. And um, a therapist told me to um, classify them um, on my end. So he said, okay, so you got five fingers. So the first finger, your thumb, would be um, you don't even tell someone and you know like he understands and he knows how to do it and then you know like you got your like your, your index that you know like you need to tell him once and or just look at him once and you know like he understands and fully understands and knows how to get shit done you know like and then you got the, like the third finger and you know like the middle finger is someone you need to tell him like a few times but he gets it and you know like he, he understands and you know and um, and then you know like your your um your your ring finger would be Okay, so you tell him and, you know, like you, ex you you show him and you explain a few times and you show him how to do it, you know, like, and he's going to get it, you know, like, and, he, and he's okay. And then, the you know, like your pinky finger, you know, like, however many times you're going to repeat it and show him, you know, like he's never going to fucking understand it, you know, like, and so... Um, so, so every time you meet with someone, you know, like you just need to press that finger, you know, like just, you know, like you don't need to, you know, like do like all, all kinds of hand signs or whatever, but you know, like you yeah. can just touch that finger in your hand and say, okay, this guy's a fucking pinky, you know, like there's nothing I can <laughs> do about him, you know. <laughs> This guy's, uh, this guy's definitely the thumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or yeah, exactly. And you know, like so, so you get some people that you know, like whatever you say. You know, like that. You know, like you're not gonna change him, and you know, there's nothing to do about it. You know, but it still gets under my skin sometimes. You know, like it's just, um, it's a bit of how I am. You know, like and 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 that, um, you know, like kind of that. You know, like that fuel that I have or that fire that I have makes me professionally successful. You know, like I work in sales, I work in, you know, like fast paced IT shit, you know, like, so I need to be on my toes. I need to be uh, passionate to share that passion, you know, like to, to a potential customer, right? You know, like, so there's, there's something of that, that, you know, like it's useful for my, my own career. Um, but at the same time, you know, like you need to be careful about that because it becomes, it could becomes, it, it could look like, um, I had a boss that would say, um, Alex, can you turn it down just two notch down on the passion, please, Alex? You know, like <laughs> because it was too much, you know, like yeah. I would get too involved and too, you know, like kind of passionate about it. So, so the next question I got is, you know, like how is it, you know, like what did, um, getting to know the 12 step program and the program itself changed in the past two years for you? Um, sorry, uh, you blanked out there for a quick second. I didn't hear the whole question. The question I ask is, you know, like what did, um, getting to know and discovering the, the, the programs and the meetings has changed for you between, you know, like 10, the, the, the last 10 years and then the, the last two years. Uh, you know, I, I honestly think sitting down and reading the questions and actually having to be honest with myself and my sponsor, um, is what really changed because before, before I even walked into the rooms, um, I wasn't even willing to admit that I was an addict. Um, I used to sit there and say, oh, I did drugs in the past, you know, um, but now I don't do drugs anymore. And that's how I lived my life. Uh, 
up until two years ago. And when I had to sit in that circle and actually admit that I was an addict, uh, that's when it really hit me. So when I started doing my steps and actually having to, I'm on step uh, eight now. Um, but when I actually started doing my step work, answering those questions and, you know, really having to be truthful to myself and truthful with my sponsor, um, was probably the hardest thing that I had to do. But at the same time, I knew that this is it for me. This is, you know, me walking into the rooms. This is my, my counseling. This is, you know, the last step. This is the only thing that's left that can actually like, uh, in other words, cure me, you know, there's nothing else. So I'm like, I really got to take this serious. And so I honestly, I put everything I could into my step work. I answered my questions and, you know, I had to be truthful to myself, whether I liked the answer or not. I knew that that was the only thing that I can do because to me, this was my last step. Um, there's no, you know, there's no, nothing else that I can do besides uh, the NA program in my, in, in my opinion, uh, working the steps is, is probably the most important thing for me. And, and, and when doing the steps, I actually learned a lot about myself and I've also forgiven, I've learned, you know, empathy and I've learned sympathy and I've learned how to forgive people. And since I've been doing my steps, I've been able to take a weight off my shoulders and actually release all this pain that I've had for so many years. And it was this that did it and not counseling and not talking with other people, not journaling, even though journaling did a lot for me, but it was me having to do these questions and find myself. Um, and, and I regret not doing this years ago. I wish I would have done this years ago. I would have, you know, felt more at ease and I'm the happiest that I can ever be. Um, in, you know, my 37 years of life right now, uh, I'm actually like at a point in my life where I'm happy. I'm, you know, I feel that I'm an influence to other people. You know, I feel that my story matters and, and it's because of my step work and it's because of NA. Um, so, I mean, without the rooms, I don't know, like where I think I would honestly still be struggling with you know, the demons that I've had inside me for so long. And would you say that, um, finding peers is also something that helped, you know, like just finding others that has gone through similar struggles? Oh, definitely. Um, one of the things that I say is most important when walking into a room is getting numbers. Um, you know, there's not a day, there's about four people now that I sit there and I text every day and I wish them a good day, uh, whether they're having a shitty day or not. And, you know, every day I'm reminded that I made their day or, you know what, I'm sorry, I didn't get a hold of you yesterday, but I was having a shitty day. Can we talk now? And I constantly remind people in the rooms that it's important to get the numbers you don't know if you're going to have a connection with these people or not. But when you see someone walk in for the first time, you know, it's already shitty having to walk into a room and admit that you're an addict. 
But to be able to walk into a room that's welcoming to you and actually sit there and, and meet people that are just like you and to know that you're not alone is probably the best feeling in the world. So we encourage all the time, you know, to, to grab numbers and and talk with the other peers that are that are in, you know, the N.A. And um, as well as, you know, if you can talk to the people that you work with, depending on what type of job you have and stuff, you know, it's important to talk, um, you know, because if you're going to if you hold it in, it's just, you know, secrets, secrets kill. And, you know, eventually it'll eat you up alive. So. So, yeah, that's my best advice when walking into a room and I'll, I'll be the first to, you know, sit there and introduce myself and introduce my name and, you know, try to get to know somebody if I can. And who knows what kind of impact I'll be able to do to that person. Right. And the last question I got for you is, you know, like, how, how are you doing now? Mm. Now, um, you know, I'm doing I'm doing really good. Um I've got two jobs that I love. You know, I have a husband that's very supportive. Um, I've got true friends, uh, friends that are actually real friends and not, you know, there just because I have drugs, you know. Um, I have beautiful nieces and nephews and, and family that, you know, care about me and love me. And uh, I mean, like, like anybody, you know, we all have our struggles and we all have our, you know, shit that we have to deal with on a regular basis but um i'm truly happy that i'm here today and that i'm actually alive to talk about this and and share my story with others and um so you know if what i can say one day to 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 the world you know if if i can help somebody get through their rough day um and let them know that they're alone that they're not alone sorry um I will do that. So, so today I'm okay and I'm happy to be alive. That's awesome. Um, the last thing I, I'm asking you is, you know, like, and, and the reason why I ask is that, you know, like I didn't ask you before we started recording, but do you make yourself present um, online, you know, like through social media, you know, like just by inspiring, you know, like by trying to inspire others or um, is there, anywhere that people can find you or see you uh in terms of you know like your, your kind of your own journey your own sobriety journey um yeah i don't uh i don't have facebook but i do have instagram um people can reach me at uh frenchy5 underscore 1983 um yep. so it's f-r-e-n-c-h-y-5 underscore 1983 so you know, I, most of my Instagram is based on recovery. Um, you know, I don't, I don't do the dinner plates and stuff like that. I'm, I'm more, <laughs> you know, I'm more interested in, you know, things that I've done for the company and, um, you know, inspirational, um, quotes and stuff like that. And a lot of, a lot of people that I have added is all based on sobriety. So, so yeah, anybody that wants to, you know, connect with me, then, you know, I'd love to chat. Awesome. And, uh, you know, like the, the, um, Instagram, um, so Christine's Instagram is going to be found in the description of the podcast episode. So, uh, don't worry if you, you know, didn't get the time to find it, you just scroll below and you're going to find it there. Christine, I have to thank you. Um, as I told you before uh, we started that recording, um, 
for me, it's a crazy journey. I would have never imagined that um, reaching out to strangers and, you know, like being inspired by some of the posts I see and then, you know, like reaching out, you know, taking a chance and reaching out into people that I don't know and inviting them to that, you know, like to that podcast, you know, like would be um, not only uh, people would accept it, but, you know, like people would embrace uh, being part of that, of that journey of mine, you know, like, so, so, um, you know, part of that uh, adventure that, you know, like I've, I've started a bit more than a year ago and um, cannot be anything else but thankful for your participation to it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You know, I ended up finding, um, finding you through someone else that, um, was mentioning that they did a podcast and I was like, how can I reach out? You know? So, um, thank you for everything that you've done for us as well. You know, it, it takes people like you to, you know, inspire the world. So thank you and, and keep doing what you're doing. So that's really appreciated. And, you know, like I, I, I just want to do my, you know, like a bit of my share, you know, like it's, uh, for me, it's just, um, like I said, you know, like there's, there's, um, I think there's a piece missing right now, you know, like, especially with those new platforms. Um, I think there's a piece missing and, um, I'm filling that gap while, you know, like, um, some of the more, I would say, um, official authorities of, you know, like of these movements, um, gets involved as well, you know, like, and, and until then, you know, like, uh, there's going to be at least that podcast that, you know, like broadcast, uh, mm -hmm. a message of hope and that, you know, like and that new media. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye.